0: All right, good evening. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. Uh, A couple announcements. Um, We've got uh, on December 11th, which is Saturday, there's a concert for those who want to come at the Duck and Farm. Weak Sheep and um, Handsome and Gretel and... Tyler Grehan, I think is how you say his last name, will be playing. Um, There is a charge at the door um, and everything. There's some information on the flyer or on the bulletin board right here if you want to see more. Have this also here. But um, in fact, this might be the one from over there. Uh, (laughs) But uh, that's this Saturday, correct? I should know since I'm going to be there. <laughs> but, um, and then uh, Calvary Cafe for the ladies is Friday night. Uh, what time is that? 7. Um, and everything. So that's always a really good time for the ladies. And then the youth Christmas party is coming up, too, on the 19th um, and everything. We've had some information out there. So just a reminder on those things. But First um, John, Chapter 1. Um, verse 5, let's read it and then we'll pray again. It says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I do pray, as Maureen prayed, and agree with her, Lord, that your word would be rooted in our hearts, Lord. As we read these things, as we study this, uh, that your spirit would implant these seeds into our hearts, that they would grow, um, that as we're looking at them tonight, you would begin to... To work in our hearts, but even beyond that, as we go out from here tonight, that you would continue to just develop these things in our hearts and our minds, and continue to speak to us and produce fruit in our lives from what we look at here tonight, Lord. We just ask that you would meet us, you would speak to us, and that we would have ears to hear. In your name, amen. All right, so, First John, um Obviously, we spent last Wednesday looking at the first few verses there, um, and, and it's just be- I love this epistle. Um, it's beautiful how John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is presenting all of these truths to us. Um, and what he is writing on and speaking on. And those first few verses is really John saying, you know, this is the truth. I'm not sharing with you something that, you know, was just whispered in my ear, or I had this, you know, inner light that came, and I'm sharing these, you know, spiritual truths with you. But this is, you know, the gospel is uh, truth that's based in a person that we've seen, We've heard, we, we, we've handled, we, we've been spoken to, we, we've experienced all of these things, these truths that are rooted in Jesus Christ as um, a true historical man and God himself. Um, and that these things that are being shared have the weight of, of eyewitness testimony, of expert opinion, of uh, being the very message that God has delivered to us. Um, and that's what John is impressing there. So then he goes on in verse 5 and he says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Uh, that, that is the message that John is sharing is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You know, John, again, he, it was a, a public broadcast, a, a well-known, well-heard message that that John received, and it wasn't just John, but it was the apostles, it was all the eyewitnesses that we had afterwards, it was Paul, the apostle, who, you know, uh, was used by the Spirit to write the the uh, major part of the New Testament, and all of these things, and it points to this, the Uh, nature and the character of who God is. When John says, God is light, it's his very character. Um, Now this isn't speaking of, of course, what we think of as natural light, but it's speaking of um, many different aspects of of God and his character. Um, First and foremost, it speaks of um, his very character and nature of being um, like light. And it's even, but it's beyond a metaphor. So John is not just saying that that God is like light, but God is light. Remember in Genesis, God's the source and creation of light. He created it and said, let there be light. Um, we have throughout the Old Testament, we have um, the truth, the message, um, the presence of God. Um, the very first time that we see God... Interacting with uh, Abraham as the fire, that pa- the burning furnace that passes through the sacrifice for the covenant that, that Abraham presented when he presents himself to Moses, it's in the burning bush of light again. When he's with Israel, it's the pillar of fire, right, by night that gives them light. He has his glory that comes down on the temple uh, over the, the ark of the covenant and the tabernacle. Um, and, and so we see that, that it is not that God is like light, but God is the source of light. Um, it's his very character. James one seventeen it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, is how he's described, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It's the Father of lights. Uh, as we read, of course, in the scriptures, light, it doesn't just mean you know, light that you can see with your eyes, but it speaks of truth. It speaks of righteousness, it speaks of purity, it speaks of judgment, it speaks of holiness, um, and it speaks of God's final victory as well. Um, in the end, when it speaks of, um, in the New Testament, we see it also speak of the salvation. Not just the New Testament, but Old Testament, but it speaks of salvation. John 1, 4 through 5, it says, In him, speaking of the word, uh, Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or, or overtake it. John eight twelve, Jesus is speaking and he says, You know it, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Isaiah 9.2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them, a light has shined. Speaking of the Messiah, Jesus coming. John 12.46, Jesus again, he says, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Jesus is light and the truth the salvation that he brings is light that we receive. It speaks of holiness and righteousness. 1 Timothy 6:16 6, it says speaking of God who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power amen. And Paul there, as he's writing about God, he's saying that he dwells in unapproachable light. It's a light that is pure and holy, and anything unrighteous, anything unholy, cannot enter into his presence because of um, how holy and righteous he is, and speaking of that light. It speaks of judgment and truth, 1 Corinthians four five says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. God, as light, reveals sin, reveals unrighteousness in the heart of mankind, and and reveals the weight and the truth of deeds and motives of the hearts of mankind in his light, judgment and truth. Ephesians 5.13, it says, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, For whatever makes manifest is light. In his presence, he brings forward. He brings truth, illumination. And then his final victory, Revelation 22, verse 5. There shall be no night there, speaking of Jerusalem, uh, the the new Jerusalem. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Um, We don't have, I mean, we spent a good part of this looking at light but and god being the light we don't have time to go through everything but i would encourage you to do a word study just on light i mean these this is just a small portion of scriptures when you look at it um the book of isaiah over and over and over again uses light to describe god and his works and the truth that he brings um and you could even do just, uh, just pondering and meditating on light as we understand it in kind of the scientific, physical sense of light and how uh, light, uh, again, it reveals. It, it allows us to see things. Um, in fact, uh, when you actually perceive and see an object that you're looking at, what is happening is the light is hitting that object and reflecting into your eyes. And the the makeup, the character of the object that you are seeing is changing and reflecting the light in a specific way to give you the colors to give you the reflection to give you the shape of it and everything and so the objects that you look at actually um they they reflect that light in a specific way and how they reflect that light which is interesting when you think of it in in terms of god himself and how we are as christians in that god being light he shines his light and his truth and his character out, and it's constantly there. Um, and then we as Christians and even non-Christians in their uh, being made in the image of God reflect that God, God's light in a specific way. And how it's seen and how it's perceived is changed by the character and the quality and the makeup of that object that's reflecting the light. When we have Christ in our hearts and our lives, then we begin to reflect God's light the correct way, the right way, um, and in a truthful way. Um, Not that we're perfect, of course, but here it says that God is light. Um, His very nature, his character, his essence, he brings truth to our lives, to our hearts. When we have a relationship with him, when we place our faith in him, um, it is uh, a relationship that is designed to bring truth into our lives, designed to reveal in our hearts, in in our actions, in our deeds, in the motives that we have, the truth of whether they're right, whether they're wrong, whether we're walking with the Lord or not, when we have that relationship with Him. Um, Our our fellowship with Him, our direct relationship with Him, um, reveals in us how short we fall of His standards. Um, and also the grace, the mercy, the love that he has shed in us in that he has this relationship with us despite our shortcomings. Um, but God is righteous, he's pure, he's holy, he is light. And then it goes on to say, uh, say um, and in him, verse 5, is no darkness at all. He has none of the opposite. Um, Whatever God is, because of his very character, who he is, um, God is that to the fullest. It's not in any moderation or any mixed part that God is righteous, that God is holy, that God is truth. He is that and that to the extreme, more than we can even understand, because he's the source. He is the source for that truth, holiness, righteousness, excuse me, judgment. Um, he, is the, he is the source of life. And so there is no, no uh, variation, like James says, no shadow of turning. Uh, there's no unrighteousness in God. There's no injustice in God. There's no deceitfulness. There's no untruthfulness in God. There's no darkness in Him. He can be fully trusted. Who He is does not change. That's why He calls Himself the I Am That's the name he revealed to Moses, um, is the I Am. And uh, who he is, he is that fully. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That is the message. And that message that John is sharing, it has all of these aspects to it. It speaks of our salvation. It speaks of holiness and righteousness. It speaks of God's judgment on sin and the truth that he wants to bring, and it speaks of his final victory. Um, as he overcomes all things, as he purifies, as he um, has victory in the end. Look at verse 6. So Johnny says, that's the message. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But verse 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So based on that, that, that first premise there where God is light, then if we say we have fellowship with God and yet we're portraying, portraying a character that is at odds with God being light, that is darkness, then we are not practicing the truth. We're, we're lying there. Um, we're, not, we're not portraying him. We're not, we're not portraying the truth. We're lying is what it says there. Um, This is, it's a hypothetical statement that John is saying here. In in, uh, more modern English, it would be like we're saying, suppose that we say we were, uh, suppose that we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness and we lie. Uh, If we do that, then we lie and do not practice the truth, is what John is saying here. Um, This word fellowship there, that we're saying we have fellowship, it speaks of participating together with God in those characters and attributes he has, that we, we have communion with him, we have these things in common with him, so all those characteristics of him is light, his righteousness, the judgment on sin, the truth that he is, the salvation that he brings, the holiness, all of those characters and attributes of God, when we say we have fellowship with him, that's, that means that we have those things in common with him. Not that we can attain to the same quality, of course, but we, we have a reflection of the, those in him, and we're choosing to walk and have that fellowship with him. So there's that part of it as sharing in common with. The other aspect is being a companion with God, saying that we have fellowship. Um, Kenneth Wiest, uh, who's a Bible scholar, we've talked about him before, Greek scholar, Um, he says, this person claims to have things in common with God, common likes and dislikes, a common nature, which result in a communion of interest and activity, which we call fellowship. And that's this person is claiming, if we say we have fellowship with him. That is a person who is saying that they are saved, that they are walking with him. Um, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So then it hinges upon that part, that verb where it says, and we walk in darkness. So we're, we're saying, I'm, I, I'm saved. I have fellowship with God. I have a relationship with him. I'm sharing these things in common. But then we're walking, we have this verb, this continual habitual action is what it's talking about. It's speaking of habitual sin, it's speaking of unrepentant, uh, unconfessed um, sin where we are continuing in opposition to God to walk in that darkness. Um, it also is. It's the Greek word peripeteo, which is an ordering of behavior. It speaks of setting yourself these in this boundary, this sphere of influence, where we walk in darkness. Um, it, it means that the habitual, continuous actions and behavior of a person here who's walking in darkness is being ordered only within the sphere of that darkness, rather than light. Um, You can test the fruit of that person's behavior and see that it's within the sphere of spiritual darkness. You can see the outcome of their life. You can see what they are doing and you can see that it is in opposition to God and how he's portrayed himself, declared himself in the scriptures. It's living within a circle of sin. And so if we say we have fellowship with God and yet we're living habitually, Practicing things that are in opposition to Him, uh, where we're continuing in sins that God has told us are sinful, that the Holy Spirit has convicted our hearts on, that we uh, refuse to give up and confess. If we continue to walk in those things, um, then we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. We're not walking in the light, but we're walking in darkness. We're in opposition. Um, so it's speaking of the, the, uh, that, um, being within that sphere prior to salvation. We're in darkness, right? We know that that's a basic truth prior to salvation. We're in sin. We need salvation after salvation. We're in light and we're called to walk in his light. John three verses 19 through 20, it says, and this is the condemnation that the light, speaking of Jesus, has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So prior to our salvation, we are walking in darkness. But when we place our faith in him, there should be that change. There should be that repentance. There should be that transformation in our hearts and lives where we're not no longer practicing, watching, walking in these habitual sins, where we're, we're, we're repenting of these things. It says um, we lie. If we walk in darkness, then we lie and do not practice the truth. If, we, if our behavior is ordered habitually and continuously inside that circle of sin, then we have no fellowship with God, and we're lying if we say we do. If we, having placed our faith in God, either return to sin and do not repent, do not confess, or continue in the sins that he's delivered us from, then we've broken our fellowship with him. We can't claim to have that fellowship, that relationship with him. So we have that very truth that there should be this change, this transformation of those who place their faith in him. Verse 7, it goes on, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. So the opposite, of course, is true then. If we walk in the light, if we habitually, continuously, order our behavior in the circle of God's, Righteousness that's walking in the light. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means that the sin that is revealed by that light is then dealt with with confession and repentance. It's a perseverance, it's a continuing with the Lord. It's allowing His light to illuminate, to reveal in us the sins that we have so that we then respond in confession, in repentance. That's a walking in the light to remain in it. Um, and if we do that, we have fellowship. With one another. Now I <clears throat> will confess that I interpreted this phrase here wrong because it says uh, we have fellowship with one another. But when you look in the Greek, when you when you look at that and the context there, it's not speaking of fellowship with fellow believers. It's speaking of our fellowship with God Himself. The whole context in First John is speaking of our relationship with the Lord and our, our fellowship with him. Um, so John, of course, he's saying this here, and that's true, of course, as we walk with the Lord, as as we're, we're abiding in him, as we're walking in the light, then that allows us to establish right and good relationships with other believers. That is true. But what John is talking about here is more foundational. It's that we, um, is speaking of, the Christian and God. It's speaking of a mutual relationship of fellowship from us to God and from God to us. That's what's so beautiful is it's not a one-sided thing where we come to God and we say, okay, I'll be obedient to you, I'll walk in the light, I'll do all of these things and just hope in the end that I'll have some reward for it or go to heaven or whatever else. But there's a relationship that's a two-way relationship, is if we walk in the light, we come to God and we have a relationship with him where we're repenting, we're confessing, we're, we're being thankful to him, we're giving him worship, but at the same time he's communing with us where his spirit speaks to us, his word speaks to us. He reveals in us things, he he gives us comfort, he gives us truth and encouragement, where we have this relationship that is a mutual thing as we walk in the light, as we habitually order our lives in the sphere of righteousness of the light that God is, of the truth that he's revealed in the scriptures, walking according to the word, abiding in him as his disciples, abiding in the truth. Um, that, is, that is the picture There is there. Again, there's that change, in, and the reward uh, of that is that fellowship. If you remember verse 4 from last week, John says, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. How often are we going through our lives as Christians with a lack of joy. That's because we're we're not in a right relationship with the Lord. It may be we're not outright doing all these sins, but we don't have this communion, this relationship with the Lord where we're petitioning him for our needs where we're worshiping him giving him thanks for the things that he's done in our lives continuously where we're recognizing him in the small things in our lives like getting to work on time in the morning or uh, maybe getting there late so that you miss that accident that happened a minute before you got to work or or just those little things uh, 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 that are just waking up and seeing you know a beautiful sunrise uh, that but having that that relationship with the lord when we have that understanding where our life is ordered according to how God designed it to be but also where our attitudes are that we're thankful and we have this relationship with him then God gives us that joy that contentment that that ability to be settled that ability to um, not be blown about, to not be um, uh, depressed or, or, or overcome, but to be just resting in him and trusting in him because he's faithful. Again, he is light. He can be trusted. Um, his character does not change. And so when we come to him, when we walk with him, then we can trust that that's the outcome of our relationship with him, is joy, is righteousness, is rightly representing him, is reflecting him, is that walking in the light. So it says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, God and man, man and God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now this is not speaking of legalism, this is not in opposition to what Paul writes where we're justified by faith alone in the finished work of God and not by works. It's not that where, you know, if it could be easily uh, misconstrued here that John is saying if you walk in the light, if you're doing what God is want, wanting you to do, then you have the blood of Jesus cleansing you from sin. Um, and speaking of salvation, but that's not what John is speaking of here. Um, he, he's speaking of uh, that as we abide in Christ, we, we have our sins that have been atoned for by Jesus on the cross. We're justified already if we've placed our faith in him. The right response then is then to walk in righteousness and to walk with him in obedience. And as we're doing that, as we're abiding in him, then those things in us where we continue to have our sin nature, right? You read Romans, it talks all about that. Where we continue to have this wrestling with sin. Where where the things that we want to do, we don't do, right? And the things that we shouldn't do, we want to do, Um and we have that that continuous battle within us um, but at the same time we continue to have things in our hearts and our lives that that are sins of ignorance sins of omission think of the fresh young new believer who's just placed their faith in the Lord maybe they are coming out of a, a lifestyle of drug addiction or alcoholism and the Lord many times he'll he'll you know, set them free and give them victory over that. But for some, sometimes there's a there's a gradual sanctification where the Lord saves them, brings them in, they start to be obedient to him, and then over time the Lord says, that's sin for you to continue to drink a beer every night. That's sin for you to smoke your cigarettes. That's a sin for you to do these other things. And, and um, we can have these... Uh, aspects of our character and our nature that we don't right away recognize as sin until it's over time as we're walking with the Lord. And that's that same idea of God being light, as He's revealing those things in us. But what this is saying is that those things where if we did not have Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins, those small things that are sins of omission. Um, the sins of ignorance, those would be enough to break our relationship, our fellowship with God because of his righteousness, because of his holiness, but because of his grace, then those sins are covered and, and, and our fellowship is continued with him. Now the problem comes in is if He's revealed and he's now convicted us on those things and we refuse to repent. We refuse to give that up. That's when it becomes a problem because then we're unrepentant. Then we're not surrendering to the Lord in those things. But John is talking about that where the blood of Christ, uh, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's, this, it's the same thing that Jesus is talking about when he says if you abide in the vine, Right where you produce fruit. It's that idea of we're abiding in the Lord, we produce good fruit, but we also have this, this sanctification, the purification that comes with walking with the Lord and, and giving up these things that, that, that he reveals in us. We have to remember that that term sin, um, it, it's an archery term that means to miss the mark. So it can be intentionally missing the mark, but it can also be unintentionally as well. And God is righteous, no sin can be in his presence. And yet, because of his grace, when we've placed our faith in him, and we've confessed and repented from those things that we know are sin, then he, he covers us in those things that we don't know, and then he works in us to then convict us, to then sanctify us. And it's that progression of sanctification that the Lord does in us. And it's a beautiful thing where, where his light then is purifying us as we walk in Him, as we order our lives in Him. You know, we can um, live a life of a struggling Christian where we kind of never get things right or we, we seem to always have these struggles um, and everything. Uh, but God calls us to persevere. He calls us to, again, abide in Him. And as we, as we do that, as we abide in Him, as we, we remain loyal to Him, and, and we remain responsive, submitted to His Spirit, and, and, and yielded to Him, then we can begin to have victory in our lives. The Christian does not have to be any longer in bondage to sin, but can uh, have victory. And again, it's not perfection, and it doesn't always mean that you never again have to deal with that same struggle or that sin. But, Um, as there's that constant surrendering to the Lord, there's the purification where his blood cleanses us from that sin. So look at verse 8. It says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, This sin... um, Wherein it says, if we say, again, this is a hypothetical statement, suppose that we say we have no sin. We're just deceiving ourselves, is what John's saying. But in the Greek, it speaks not of actions or individual sins, but of the sin nature, of having that inherited sin nature, the fallen nature that comes from Adam. If we say that we have no sin, no need of salvation, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything wrong. I, have, I don't have this, this sin nature in us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're, we're right. If we say that we're just righteous. The only one who's fooled by saying that our sin nature is completely eradicated is ourselves. If we're saying that. That's what he's saying. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's what, again, Paul writes about that in many of his epistles in Romans. Um, He writes about that our sin nature continues to be with us, our old dead man. We're supposed to reckon him dead to sin, and yet he rears his ugly head many times. We have that sin nature. We have the temptation. If we didn't have a sin nature any longer, we wouldn't have temptation, right? We would be fine. We wouldn't have that if we didn't have our sin nature any longer. But that's not the truth at all. If we say we have no sin, we're fools. It's, it's very clear. It's pretty plain and simple. Um, and what's interesting is anyone who says they, that they no longer have sin, everyone else can see sin in them, right? Everyone else. And that's why John says we deceive just ourselves. It says, and the truth is, is not in us. Both the principle of the need for salvation from sin and the method of salvation are basic principles that the scriptures talk about. That we have a sin nature that we've inherited from our parents all the way back to Adam, but we also act upon that sin nature in the deeds and the actions that we have that are sinful. And the the other basic truth that we have from the scriptures is that our good works Cannot achieve salvation because we can stop doing all these deeds that are sinful all we want and start doing deeds that would be perceived as being righteous, but we have never dealt with our sin nature unless we've confessed and repented and asked the Lord to become our Savior, and His atoning sacrifice then pays for and redeems that sin nature um, and covers that sin nature. Um, Those are basic truths. You know, we had a few weeks ago. We had those two fellows outside the church on a Sunday morning, and, and you know, criticizing our church for our our belief in uh, the pre-tribulation rapture. But these also were men that that they stood upon this fact that they don't sin any longer. That it doesn't matter what they do. They they are chosen, and they are. Um, fully and completely sanctified and perfected in their lives, and therefore they cannot commit any sin. And that's just a blatant disregard for what the scriptures say, honestly. Um, there, uh, it is interesting. It, it, it's a, um, and I, I don't intend to offend anyone, but this may, but it, it's a full, uh, when you take Calvinism, which says that God has chosen you no matter what you do. He's chosen you for salvation. When you take that to its full extreme, you come to that point where if God has chosen me for salvation, and it doesn't matter what I did, what I've done, I'm chosen, I'm going to heaven, then I can do anything I want, and God does not view it as sin. And that's, that's the full outcome of that Calvinistic um, worldview. Uh, is that 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 being the fully elect of the lord where where there's our choices have no uh no impact on our eternal salvation um and that's not what the scriptures teach the scriptures teach both the sovereignty of god where he does cho- choose us for salvation but also the free will of mankind where we can choose to reject that salvation that he freely offers um but we have Romans 3.23, you guys know it, verse uh, 24 also. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. It's, it's a, a basic principle. Romans 3.28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, meaning that we, nothing we do can, can merit our salvation. Another one of these basic principles, though, is that we have to continue in the faith that we've received by walking in the light, that there still is a righteous standard that God calls us to live by. He calls us to walk with him, and that law, the righteous standard of God, is not made void just by our faith in him. It still exists because God is light. He does not change. His standards don't change. Who he says he is, what he says about what's right and wrong, that does not change. So um, it's God then working through those things, through His character, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and, and our um, freely accepting that sacrifice. Then that that we have our salvation. But then that calls a, God then calls us to continue and to walk, to persevere, to continue with him. Romans 3.31, it says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Paul is writing, saying that by our very need for salvation, we're establishing the law as being God's righteous standard. We don't live up to his standard. Therefore, the law is true, as good, as holy, as right. Romans 6, it continues on, um, but that clearly establishes the principle of holy living for Christians. Romans 6, 1-2, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And that's that same idea of ordering our behavior in that sin. Romans six fifteen, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. So the, we have these basic principles that the scriptures teach, that God shares. And if we get ourselves off and twisted because we read a small portion of scripture like this here in 1 John wrong, um, we're, we're throwing out the rest of the scriptures. Um, That's what's so beautiful about what we have, that God has given through His Holy Spirit um, these truths that are line upon line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, where the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures, where what is revealed in the New Testament has been concealed in the Old Testament, um, and vice versa, and, and we have the full counsel of God in the scriptures. And when we come to portions of scripture that are taken out of context or maybe twisted, if we simply would take those scriptures and and test our interpretation of that according to what the rest of the scriptures teach, then we would we would see that it's not the scriptures that are wrong, it's us. And how we're reading that, how we're understanding that, how we're interpreting it—that's God has built into His Word that that ability to to uh, verify, to to confirm what He says in one place and another. Um, and in the Scriptures, there really, truly are no contradictions, um, and, and and we have that that beautiful principle. And as you come to the Scriptures. Um, and are studying and are seeking the Lord, then um, when you run into things you don't understand, you fall back on those things that you don't. I mean, it's, let's see. You fall back on the things that you do. I'm confusing myself. Um, but, but that's that basic principle of Bible study, of Bible interpretation. It's it simple. It is if you read something and say, I just don't get what they're saying. About this, well, you can fall back on all the truths that you know, um, that you do understand, um, that that you know are true about the scriptures. And it may come to the point where you say, you know, I I don't understand this, Lord. Please give me understanding. And if not, maybe it won't be till we're in heaven that we'll understand some of these portions of scripture. But a lot of times, they are. There is a clarity and there is a way that we can understand and truly. Um, get the right and true interpretation by these things. Um, And and that's what's so beautiful about the scriptures. So, uh, though those truths about sin, about salvation, about God's righteousness, about justification through faith, about our need for perseverance and to walk through the Lord, though those truths are clearly established, um, Paul declares in Romans 7, says, I find then a law that evil is present with me. Right? He says, The one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So, uh, anybody who says that once you place your faith in Christ, you cannot sin any longer is in full and complete contradiction to what the scriptures say, and very clearly say. Now there was, at the time John was writing this, a heresy called antinomianism, which was it's a technical term saying they're against the law, basically. is rooted in Gnosticism. You guys have heard of the Gnostics. Um, and uh, the word comes from the Greek anti, against, and nomos law. And what it is, it's the unbiblical practice of living without regard to the righteousness of God, of using God's grace as a license to sin, and trusting grace to fully cleanse you of sin, past, present, and future, without a need for uh, ceasing to practice it. In other words, since grace is infinite and we are saved by grace, then we can sin all we want and still be saved. That's what this this heresy teaches. It's wrong because even though as Christians we are not under the law, we still fulfill the law in the law of love. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves, and thereby avoid the offense of sin which God, which cost God his only begotten Son. Uh, Paul speaks against it in Romans 6, 1-2, like we read. And then, uh, as we uh, understand it, we, we see that we're not to use the grace of God as a means of sin. Instead, we're to be controlled by the love of God, and in that way, bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, like Galatians talks about. That's antinomianism. It twists the scriptures that are found, especially in this epistle, to say that a Christian cannot and does not commit sin any longer and that no action may be deemed a sin for someone uh, that may be deemed a sin for someone who is unredeemed as being a sin. That's a hard way to understand that. Um, But basically it's saying that you can't commit sin any longer. Um, And there are many verses, if, if you want, we're running out of time, but there are many verses that contradict that. You can go through the scriptures and you can see Paul, James, John, in many of their epistles, write to Christians. Remember that. New Testament, written to Christians, written to believers, and confronts them on their sin, or talks about how you can no longer continue in these things. Right? So Christians do and can sin. On the flip side, it also means that because of God's grace, when we do commit a sin, we don't all just automatically lose our salvation. Right. If we are unrepentant, then we we are in danger of our conscience being seared and God potentially leaving us to our unrepentant nature, character, status. But uh, if if we confess, if we repent, He forgives us. So, um, you know, w- this heresy that was there, it still exists today, and we need to be careful. Um, anytime you hear and you run into people out there that are teaching you things, and you say, well, that sounds different from what the scriptures say, or that that seems to be something different than than what I've heard, we're to constantly take what is being spoken to us, taught to us, portrayed as being truth, and weigh it by the scriptures. Just the same way we would um, choose to, or we should choose to interpret the scriptures by what, what they do say, we need to weigh to test the spirits and, and to, to consider them according to the truth of God's word. And when we do that, then we may not fully understand everything. Um, we truly don't fully understand everything. But then we're, we're on good grounds because we say this is what God's word says. And what you are teaching, what you're proposing is in opposition to what God's word says. I may not fully understand all of it, but that is not what God says in his, in his word, in his Bible. And we can stand on this truth. And again, it goes back to God being light, God being true, God being holy. So he continues on and he says, if we confess our sins, verse 9, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess means to say the same thing. It means we agree with God. That's what it's speaking of. What God calls sin, we call sin. What he calls right, we call right. We agree with him. It also, in the Greek, the form of this verb, it speaks of continuous action. Our hearts should be in a constant state of confession towards God. Yes, God, that's sin in my heart. Yes, God, you're true. Yes, God, you are righteous. Yes, God, that is the right thing to do. Yes, Lord. It's a constant state of confession towards God. That's where David in Psalm 51, he, he, he writes, uh, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That's that having that heart of contrition, understanding I have a sin nature. There are things in my life that... I may not know, understand that our sin now, but as I walk with him, he reveals those things and we confess and repent. It's this constant state of confession. That's what God wants us to do. I think that's where Paul is talking about where he says, pray without ceasing. Again, it's that constant communion, that relationship with the Lord, where he's purifying us. We have that promise. If we do that, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, He's faithful to his character and in his relationship with us. Again, it goes back to the message that John declares. God is light. He can't change. He's faithful to himself. And if we confess, if we abide with him, then he purifies us. He's faithful to himself and he's faithful to us. It's not just that message, but it's a promise that God's light will cleanse us from our sins as we abide in him, as we walk with him. He's both faithful and just. He's not winking at sin when he forgives us or he overlooks those sins of omission or ignorance or, or, or you know those times where we willfully choose to sin and then he confronts us on it. He's not winking at those things, but his very character is working true justice in our lives through Jesus' blood and the indwelling Holy Spirit as we walk with him. It's true justice because God, Christ paid the price for our sins and we're choosing to abide in him, to walk in him. And then we see that he forgives us. Our sins that are continuously cleansed by simply abiding in Christ are the ones that we unwittingly, unknowingly commit as part of our sin nature. The sins we confess are those that are brought to light, which are not habitual sins. They are the choices to act in a sinful manner or perhaps those sins that we were ignorant of before. But the Lord has brought to light those sins, and they are cleansed and forgiven through that confession. right? If, if we walk in unrepentant sin, those ones are not forgiven until we repent. He, he's paid for our salvation, but we still have the choice. God desires us to live holy lives, and, and God desires us to walk with Him. He's gracious. He's patient. He's long-suffering. Right? Many of us can attest to that. We can look at David. Right, there was what a, a year where he was unrepentant after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and, and ultimately murdered her wife or her husband. Um, God is patient; and He's long-suffering with us. Um, but His cleansing blood covers our sin. And if we confess, if we continue to walk with him, then we have, and through repentance, giving up those sins, we have that cleansing, that, that restored relationship. And then verse 10, and we'll finish up. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In verse 8, the indwelling sin resulting from the sin nature is what is being denied in this verse, it's speaking of denying specific acts of sin. So before it's saying, if we say we don't have sin nature, no need for salvation, or that uh, because God has saved us now, we don't need, uh, we don't ever sin, we don't have anything that God can ever reveal in us that we're doing wrong. Here it's saying, well, I, I don't do sin. I don't commit acts of sin. And, or that anything that I do Um, it doesn't matter if if, um, it could be deemed sin, it's not. It's that same, again, it's just the other side of that coin. Saying if we say that we have not sinned, then we make him a liar. We call God a liar. And his word is not in us. In essence, we're saying that we committed no sins in the past and are incapable of committing any sin at present. It's sinless uh, perfection is what that is speaking of. And that, again, it clearly contradicts the scriptures. Clearly. Because God is light. Without the true light of the gospel, where all have sinned, we call God a liar and we're in the dark. Without the light of God, any attempt at righteousness is futile. Isaiah 50, this is, I would write this reference down, Isaiah 50 verses 10 through 11 says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. And then on the flip side, he says, Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. And this you shall have for my hand. You shall lie down in torment, is what Isaiah writes there. And the Lord is saying, if you understand, if you recognize that without God, without Christ, without His truth, you're in darkness, you have no light. If you recognize that, then you can come to Him and He freely gives you that light, the righteousness, the truth, the illumination, the understanding, the, the, the salvation. He gives you those things, but if you rely on yourself... You kindle your own fire. You try to find light by yourselves. You encircle yourselves with sparks. You can walk in the light of that fire and the sparks you have kindled, but he says, this you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. When we choose to walk in darkness, we have torment. But when we choose to walk in light, we have the blessings of salvation, that relationship with God. We can walk with him We have, uh, of course, a lot of application here for ourselves and our lives. Um, You know, perhaps you've kind of walked away from the Lord or you're backsliding, or perhaps maybe on the outside it looks like you're doing great, but you have sin in your heart and your life that God has constantly convicted you on, and you've chosen to not repent, to not confess. Um, There may come a time where God gives you over, to those things like we read about in Romans, where God gives you over to the sins that you've chosen rather than repent. But God is a light. He wants to reveal, to purify, to give you victory, to to help you to overcome those sins if you repent, if you humble yourself, if, like David says, you have a contrite heart, a broken spirit... God will not despise you. Confess those things. Repent of those things. And God will forgive you. He's faithful and just. If we've placed our faith in Christ, we have access to boldly come before his throne of grace and throw ourselves on the horns of the altar of mercy and forgiveness, right? We can confess, we can repent, we can be forgiven, and we can go and sin no more. Not that we're, again, living in perfection, but we can have victory. We can walk with him. If you're doing well, we have, of course, the the um, exhortation that if anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, right? We may be doing well, walking with the Lord. Perhaps you, you are walking in freedom and liberty now because the Lord has set you free from a sin. We have to truly understand until we're on the other side of heaven, right, or the other side of death, uh, we're going to deal with our sin nature. And, and we have to check ourselves that we are not becoming prideful and getting to that state where we're saying, well, I'm set, I'm good. I can sit back and rest on my laurels. There's nothing more to do except for just, you know, float along with the Lord. We need to check our hearts, we need to ask the Lord. That's where that daily coming to the scriptures, spending time in prayer, asking the Spirit to fill us, comes to play. Because then God is revealing in us those things where there is always more that we can repent of, that we can confess. There are always more, more things in our heart that the Lord wants to deal with. His light is there, and, and He wants us to respond to Him and to continue to do that. And, of course, the beautiful thing about all of this is if we've placed our faith in Christ, he's given us his Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the understanding and the illumination to do the things that he's called us to. We can have um, that life that is ordered right, where we're walking within the sphere of light as God is light, where we're ordering our lives according to his word, according to his standards. Um, And then we have that fullness of joy that John talks about, and we have that relationship with the Lord that is sweet, that is um, a a father and his child rather than a criminal and a judge, right? That beautiful relationship uh, of a loving father that God loves us. Um, So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord.